In our hyper-connected world, it's easy for our minds to become cluttered and overwhelmed. Have you ever wished you could pause a button on your brain when it's going too fast? What if there was a simple, powerful tool to find inner peace? In this fast-paced world, mindfulness practices can be a valuable tool for Alpagen to focus, reduce stress, and enhance well-being. Today, we're diving into the world of meditation for our messy mind. So, let's encourage our Alpha Gen friends and siblings to take a mindful breathe and unplug from the noise and discover the power of the present moment. It's not about achieving perfect silence in your mind, it's about taking a little break to be present and aware to experience the world with fresh eyes and less busyness the more you meditate the easier it gets to be mindful in everyday life and being mindful makes meditation practice smoother ready to unplug let's explore meditation together and find inner calm my guest today is an expert for meditation and mindfulness he is dr christopher willard dr christopher is a clinical psychologist author and consultant specializing in the treatment of anxiety depressing and stress-related disorder. He is also a faculty member at Harvard Medical School, where he teaches mindfulness and meditation to medical students, and he serves as a consultant to several organizations. And as an author, Dr. Willard has published several books on mindfulness and meditation. So let's start our episode, Meditation for the Messy Mind, Unplug to Recharge. Welcome to Teal Alpha Talk. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on my show. I'm so excited to get started. The Teal Alpha Talk is a podcast dedicated to empowering and inspiring young people to navigate the challenges of the digital age. Dr. Christopher Willard is a clinical psychologist, author, and consultant specializing in the treatment of anxiety, depression, and stress-related disorders. He is also a faculty member at Harvard Medical School, where he teaches mindfulness and meditation to medical students. And he serves as a consultant to several organi organizations as an author. Dr. Willard has published several books on mindfulness and meditation. Welcome again, Dr. Chris. Thank you our, so much. It's such a pleasure to be here, all the way in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, Canada. I'm so glad. <laughs> In our hyper-connected world, it's easy for our minds to become cluttered and overwhelmed. Today, we're diving into the world of meditation of our messy mind. So, ready to unplug? Let's explore meditation together and find our inner calm. To begin, could you explain in simple terms what mindfulness and meditation are? and how they differ from each other. What are the differences? Yeah, to me, meditation is, is like doing an exercise for our brain. Like some of us go to the gym or we have PE class at school or we play yeah. sports and that keeps our bodies strong and healthy. And we all think that's normal. And, you know, and grownups, you know, maybe, you know, a few years ago, like that seemed strange. They'd be like, you know, I'm going running. Well, why are you go? What are you running away from, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> we have now is we have meditation which is like a gym for the mind it's an exercise for the mind and we can uh spend five minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes working out our brains and actually changing making new brain connections this is called neuroplasticity the way that we actually grow new uh, connections in the brain grow the size of our brain make ourselves smarter more able to focus and we can train we can kind of cross train our brains we can do things like concentration meditation which is like strength training for our minds we can focus on what the teacher is saying or our friends are saying and not yeah. get 
perspective. And we can also do mindfulness meditation, which is a little bit more like flexibility training for our brain, where we can just start to get to notice where our mind goes, not believe our thoughts. Cause I don't, I don't know about you, Vertil, but you know, for me, like I get a negative thought and I'm like, it must be true. You know, like I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to fail this test. I'm going to fail to school. Right. And as I started practicing mindfulness, I started to realize like, oh, just because I'm having this thought, it doesn't mean it's true. And maybe I'll fail the test, but maybe not. And, and that's been so helpful and empowering for me and for thousands, millions of people around the world and, and, and more and more for, for teens, tweens and kids as well to be learning how to not believe all their own thoughts, which is a good feeling, <laughs> at least for me. So, yeah, um, I agree. What sparked your initial curiosity about mindfulness and meditation? You know, I was a little bit older than you and I was at university and I was really stressed out and didn't know what to do with myself and feeling anxious and having a hard time. And I just kind of stumbled into it. My parents had gotten interested in this stuff and they thought I might be curious about it. And when I started practicing mindfulness and meditation, I suddenly felt like, oh my gosh, I'm happier. Oh my gosh, I'm able to focus. I feel more creative. I feel less distracted. I feel more optimistic about the future. And I just wanted, and then I was like, you know, that was 25 years ago or something. And I was like, I want to practice this more. I want to share this with everybody. And so that's what really got me sparked with this was feeling overwhelmed in my own life with schoolwork and friends and just life basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you think practice like mindfulness and meditation can contribute to a person's mental health and over like over well-being? Yeah, there's there's so much research now, scientists, brain scientists, neuroscientists, like scanning people's brains when they're practicing meditation or mindfulness or afterwards. And seeing that, like, again, these parts of the brain that are like the happiness parts of the brain, the focusing parts of the brain, those are actually like getting a little bit bigger when we practice mindfulness. So that's really cool. And then just other other studies finding people are less anxious, feel more relaxed, feel more optimistic, right? These kinds of things, um, less distracted. So to me, it's it's such a helpful thing to learn how to get our not just our bodies in shape, but our brains in shape at the same time. Maybe. People wonder if yoga and meditation are the same thing. Although both offer unique benefits for physical and mental well-being, what are the key differences between them? Yeah, and I I love yoga. I practice yoga. I used to more and now more like just once a week. But yoga is really wonderful for something to focus on, stretching our bodies physically at the same time. And then meditation is really much more of just a a mental process, just really using our brains. And you can do um, movement meditations, you can do walking meditation, you can do stretching meditation. And in a sense, yoga really is just a form of, of movement meditation. And they both have um, really interesting, just different benefits. What they both do also is they help us to regulate our breath. And when our breath is calm, our bodies are calm, and then our minds are calm. And so they both have that benefit as well. Yoga is also, you know, it's good for your heart. It's good for your body. It's good to stretch, good to get strong. And also has that element of focus, you know, with the meditation elements of, of yoga that can help strengthen our brains in different ways too. Oh, okay. Never knew that. 
Within Alpha is the first generation to be entirely immersed in the digital world from birth. Their tech savvy, global aware, and constantly surrounded by information and simulation. This can be both a blessing and a curse, leading to anxiety, stress, and difficulty focusing. So how can we fit uh, meditation into our busy lives? It's really hard. It's really hard to find the time for anything. It's also really yeah. hard to get distracted, you know, even if we didn't have all this digital stuff when I was growing up it was like distracted by friends distracted by this thing happening distracted by TV distracted by right so we've always had distractions we always will they're a little bit stronger now with our our phones. And we have to anything that we care about we have to make time for we have to make time for our families, we have to make time for our schoolwork we have to make time for our friends. And I think one thing that we forget is we we forget to really make time like healthy time for ourselves. And it's such an important habit to get into. And I think what's really fun about doing this podcast with you is that we're is I'm, I'm talking to a number of young people. It's a great time to start learning how to be friends with yourself, learning how to enjoy your own company, learning how to. Um, you know, make time truly for yourself in ways that are healthy. And it can be, you know, it doesn't have to mean like sitting perfectly still and focusing on your breath for five minutes or 10 minutes, because I know that can be kind of boring, right? But it can be like, I'm going to pick my favorite song and just listen to my song and maybe notice how my body feels as I listen to this song or notice all the thoughts and memories that come up with this song or maybe just focus on one instrument, just focus on the piano for the whole four or five minutes of the song. And that's a really wonderful way of actually practicing mindfulness or um, doing like a music meditation, basically, that's so good for your brain and you're doing something like listening to music, to me anyway, is more fun than just sitting and focusing on my breath. So I recommend yeah. focusing on your breath too, but that's a way to make time is to bring that mindfulness to whatever we're doing. I totally agree. As an influencer for young people, I'm often asked how I stay so positive and confident, but the truth is confidence isn't just about feeling good all the time. Life is full of ups and downs. Confidence is about being open to change, growth and new experiences and embracing life's unexpected turns. What's one small thing we could do every day to boost our confidence? Yeah, and I, I think like, you know, I, I think you're so right about staying positive and confident. It's not just like everything is good all the time. It's learning how to be flexible, roll with it, as we say over here, like life has its ups and downs. You know, can I just, you know, have some acceptance around that? So I think radical yeah. acceptance of just things go up and down, right? Today's tough, tomorrow will be better, you know, but, you know, maybe the other way around. But I think when we do things like practice gratitude, just looking at what is going well in our lives, as well as, you know, the negatives that inevitably come up. I think it's a really important thing to do to practice gratitude too, to, to build our confidence and to help us feel appreciative of what's going well, even when we feel like we're facing a really big challenge. Yeah, like just go with the flow. Yep, yeah, exactly. Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. <laughs> I have FOMO, driven by the belief that others are living better, more exciting or fulfilling lives than us is often based on unrealistic expectations. This raises the question, how can we manage our social media use to avoid feelings of FOMO? <laughs> this is such a good question. <laughs> such an important question, Rateel. And I struggle with this in my own relationship to yeah. social media. I think I read this study that if you if you spend some time, I heard the scientists talk about 
If you spend time looking at other people's social media all the time, you feel worse about yourself, right? They're at the beach, they're at the party, they've got better clothes. But if we take some time every so often and we just look back at our own social media feed, right? What did I post recently? Oh, I've got, I had a cool vacation. I can see that on Instagram. Oh, I went to a cool party. Oh, I do these interesting things. It's kind of like making a gratitude list because we can look back at those, you know, high points in our day or at the end of the year, right? Looking back at those positive moments and social media actually gives us a good record of some of our best moments. So that's a real way that we can use social media to actually feel better, not worse. When we compare, our brains tend to compare, right? With other people. We can also do things like choose which other accounts we want to follow, right? There's people that we yeah. feel jealous of or make us feel bad, like we can hide them, mute them, block them for a while if they always make us feel worse. And we can follow accounts that really inspire us. Like I, you know, getting to know you recently and finding your account so inspiring. It's like, <laughs> this is great. Oh my gosh, I got to follow Rateel. Like this is going to make my day Thank better. You. When I pick up my phone and start scrolling rather than just thinking, oh, this person's life is better. Or that person's got this going on. So it's nice to follow yeah. and accounts too yeah you know like before i used to like not sleep because like oh my gosh everyone's having fun and i'm here sleeping because my mom <laughs> makes us sleep so early because like school and i wake up late so now like i realize like not your whole life is your life isn't going to be perfect all the time like sometimes you're gonna have fun then the next day you're gonna have fun and you're not your life's not always going to be fun so exactly yeah. and sometimes there's also i remember a few years ago someone saying there's fomo but there's also jomo and jomo is the jomo jo joy of uh, missing out <laughs> yeah. right? so it's like i don't have to deal like I'm not at the party, but there's so much drama at that party. I don't want to be there. Yeah. Anyway. Like, right. I'm here relaxing I'm and the they're just partying. Let them. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Considering how much stress and anxiety teens face, wouldn't it be great if there was an online mindfulness meditation course uh, tailored for us? Like, I'm sure I'm not the only one who love to learn these skills and apply them in everyday life. Rateel, that is such a good idea. And as you say that, people have suggested that to me over time to make something like that. Because I've made courses for adults, I've made courses for adults to teach kids. And you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking maybe Rachel and I should do this together, where like we, we can should. write some things and you can you can post them and share them. It would actually be a pretty cool collaboration. Because who wants to hear from me? I'm like some old guy, right? So I think we need to do some collaboration, bringing some young people in to. to help teach that course. Yeah, exactly. And it could be worldwide because like you're in the other parts sure. of the world and I'm here. So exactly. Yeah. In a future where AI handles everything, how can we make sure meditation stays a human experience and not get turned into algorithm? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, I spent the last few days just playing with uh, chat GPT and feeling a little like I'm feeling like I'm going a little bit crazy spending so much time playing with it yesterday. I think it has so much potential to help us and also, you know, a lot of potential for damage and also just for not doing anything. I actually asked it to write a meditation. It wrote such a terrible meditation. I was like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to lose my job anytime soon. <laughs> but I do think like, there's, there's positive things to algorithms. They can really give us, you know, what we need and what we want. On the other hand, if we, you know, say into the social media world, like, I'm feeling down, then it, it seems to never learn when we're feeling better at things like, oh, this person's always depressed or this person's always negative, And I have to, you know, kind of keep feeding them things about that. And I think hopefully we can get an algorithm that knows when we're in a good mood and a bad mood and what kinds of meditations or what kinds of um, 
inspirations will be most helpful to us on any given day to help us be our best. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I just hope it doesn't just assume, you know, just because we were having a bad day that we're depressed and down all the time and then, you know, sends us bad recommendations based on that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And we are goggled enhance uh, meditation by providing a relaxing virtual environment like a tropical island it's like we can combine vr technology with meditation i think there's so much potential here too i know yeah. in the psychology world and mental health people are using vr to help people overcome phobias like different fears or anxieties that they have and i also think you know there's some research that was like you know, this is what mindfulness does to your brain and body to relax it. And then they had people watch like, you know, the planet earth series and it like had similar effects, you know, so like being in nature does these things. Um, But I think we can bring all this together to to help ourselves visualize, or I did get to be on the beach a week or two ago. And I was like, this is great. I wish I could take this home with me. And maybe VR will help us do that. I use visualizations, my meditations, I like to imagine that I'm a mountain or imagine that I'm out in nature sometimes. And I think VR has got a lot of potential for helping us to to do that too. Yeah, I think so too. You know, many teenagers feel constantly questioned by their parents and pressured to spend time with them, even though they're uh, they're dealing with social anxiety and feeling burnt out in social situations. So it's no wonder our social energy can drop because we're still building up our social uh, stamina. As a result, we prefer to be left alone in the privacy of our rooms to recharge. Sometimes we need peace and quiet and not nagging just like anyone else so how do we find a way to deal with this need for a long time while also maintaining important relationship with families and friends absolutely and i've got bad news for you Ratil. my parents still nag me (laughs) 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 and i nag my kids you know who are a little bit younger than you i think i think you know we can we can ask for for space from people we can find our voice to say i need a little bit of downtime i look forward to connecting with you later i think when we say i'm going to my room not talking to anybody right that sends a negative message and leads to more conflict when we say i need a little bit of time to recharge to myself i need some mindfulness time i need some music time i need to take a walk right we do that in a polite way i think it's it's what we call setting a boundary and then we we come back and we're recharged people really welcome that because they want the recharged retiel not the burned out retiel they want the recharged Dr. Chris, not the burned out one. So hopefully people learn to respect that and that we also respect ourselves enough to ask for that time and to give ourselves that time, right? That's really recharging, not just scrolling social media or doing things that, you know, don't make us feel better, you know, are really good for us, but finding ways that are really sustainable to, you know, really lasting to care for ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. The parent-child relationship was often viewed as a, a hierarchical with like parents holding authority and expecting unquestioning mm-hmm. obedience from their children. Today, it's more about connection, helping yeah. kids grow and feel good about themselves and giving them the tools to learn and explore. It's like a big boss in charge of a company and all the workers <laughs> have to follow the boss's order without asking many <laughs> questions. That's the old school way of thinking about parents and kids. The newer way is more like a team where everyone works together and respect each other's ideas and everyone has opinions. Parents still guide and help, but they also listen and encourage the kids to be themselves and make their own decisions. It's all about building trust and helping the kids grow up happy and confident. 
Considering the evolution from hierarchical parent to child relationship, how do you think this shift in parenting style impacts the overall development and well-being of the children? I think it's so exciting to see these changes in parent-child relationships that parents and kids can be, there can still be that kind of like, you know, separation where the parent is still the parent and the kid is the kid, but they can be in really different ways and have a a friendship and in many ways a mentorship and not just I have a friend who says especially as kids get older it's less like you know you know a a worker and a boss and more like I don't know if you know what a a consultant is Rateel but like you know a consultant you know and uh and and an employee or something like that yeah yeah I know yeah helping someone bring out their best in themselves and still has to set limits and set boundaries and things like that but what I've seen is is so many people that feel so much closer to their parents across their lifetime as they grow up with that style of parenting and that they're they're so much happier oftentimes and you know i travel a lot for work and so it's really interesting watching different parts of the world where these changes in families are happening and i was in your part of the world and in emirates um you know around the corner from you at a, at a wonderful parenting yeah. conference with people from all over the world and particularly from all over the Gulf and the Middle East. And just this big exchange of ideas where it wasn't like I was coming in as an American and saying, this is how to do it. But I was learning from Saudi parents and experts and learning from um, you know, Lebanese you know, parents and families and, and experts and psychologists. And we're all just sharing the best of what each of our culture has to offer. And I found that so inspiring in terms of really? we can just be better parents um, because the world's a different place than it was when our parents were growing up, when your parents were growing up, yeah. um, than our grandparents were growing up. And it's going to be different when you're growing up. And we need different kinds of families and different kinds of relationships with our parents. And you still need to listen to your parents. <laughs> but they need to listen to me too so yeah they need to listen to me too like that's how it works it goes both ways not only one way can mindfulness and meditation make a better parent partner or friend i think absolutely because you know I, I don't know Rattel, if you've ever like been with someone who you just feel like you just feel really good around them you're like i love being with this person and that's because that person is like present like they have presence. They're like giving you their attention. They're giving you their heart. They're giving you um, this kind of undivided attention. And what mindfulness and meditation help us do is, is cultivate or create that presence and give people our full compassionate attention and awareness. And then we feel good. And so when we're able to practice mindfulness and build that muscle, people want to be around us. <laughs> um, people like us. You know, I always think as a parent, like, you know, what one of the things mindfulness helps me do is is not react to everything my kids do, but respond, right? If my, my kids make a mistake, which they do, or if I make a mistake, I can catch it quicker. So, you know, if I like lose my temper at my kids, I can be like, you know what? Like I messed up. I shouldn't have, you know, gotten so upset with you about that situation. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if I didn't have time practicing mindfulness where I can catch myself. Oh, maybe I shouldn't tell my kid not to do that. Maybe I should let them explore this a little bit more. Or maybe I shouldn't interrupt my friend. I should really listen to what they're saying because everyone loves to be really listened to and really seen. And so I think it helps us in all those relationships. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Having bad grades can be health. What can't 
Fight can't be helped by punishment. Yelling doesn't solve anything, and it only leads to more feelings or dejection. Everyone like experiences failure sooner or later, and yes, it sucks. But how can we find a balance between avoiding dejection and ensuring accountability and growth? Well, this is what I think is so fun about these conversations about parenting or child rearing or teaching that. I've had with people around the world and again with people um, in your part of the world too of like we need to have high standards and like we need to be kind and give people yeah. especially kids like the skills they need to just do better that's where self-compassion is important people think that you know self-compassion is like oh just you know like sit around and you know like eat sweets all day and not do anything and actually when we're truly kind to ourselves we gently encourage ourselves just like we want to be encouraging our kids or encouraging our students, you know, when we're when we're grownups in a kid's life. Um, and I think that helps them be accountable for, you know, needing to work hard and, and those kinds of things. Um, and yet also not develop that voice where it's like, oh, I'm such a bad kid. I screwed this up. I'm such a bad student. So learning how to not like I said at the beginning, how to not believe everything we think, right? Just because I'm having the thought that I'm a bad student or a bad kid doesn't mean I am. Maybe I just didn't do a great job studying this time. And if I feel exactly. good about myself, then I'll study harder next time. Or rather than even study harder, I'll find a different way to study that'll work better for me. And that only happens yeah. when we're happy. Our perspective only really changes when we're happy in a good mood. Or when we feel productive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes I try to fall asleep at night but my mind just keeps going over and over how how might mindfulness and medication improve someone's sleep there's a lot of really good scientists working on this because what mindfulness does is it relaxes our body and i remember someone once saying you know if you have a relaxed body it's hard to have a stressed out mind <laughs> so the more we can relax our bodies maybe that's tensing and releasing muscles maybe it's slowing our breath down maybe it's doing a visualization like being at the beach um, or we were talking before we started recording being in the mountains in the snow or something like that yeah. we have different weather where we are right now but these things relax our bodies when we relax our bodies our, our brains start to slow down a little bit um, and that can help us get to sleep but slowing our breath down means our heartbeat slows down means our digestive system slows down and it sends messages to our brain okay you're safe you can go to sleep you can get the rest that you need so these things can be really helpful I agree. I heard that uh, meditators have a higher tolerance for pain. Is this true and how is it true? One of the things that mindfulness does is it helps us, we still feel pain, emotional pain or physical pain, but it doesn't bother us in the same way. So some researchers at the beginning of studying mindfulness like 30 or 40 years ago started helping people who had cancer or sicknesses or injuries and they asked them to actually focus on their pain which seems like a terrible idea if you're in pain but what they actually noticed oh, like was, that, yeah. <laughs> right yeah they notice like oh the pain isn't solid it kind of comes and goes and then focus on when it's going more than just when it's coming or it's not actually like a pain it's more of like an itching and that's 
doesn't bother me as much. And same with our emotions. So we get more emotional tolerance for, or to be able to kind of manage our emotions. Cause it's like, oh, I watch, you know, the sadness of, you know, losing a friend coming and going, or I watch the worry sort of like comes and goes a little bit over the course of the week or the stress. I'm not stressed all the time, hundred percent. I'm just 80% of the time. And that's better when we start to focus on when that pain is not there. And so we don't change the pain, but we change how we relate to the pain. And I think that's what mindfulness can be really powerful with, whether it's emotional or physical pain of any kind. Yeah. What are some resources you recommend for people who don't want to learn about meditation and mindfulness? Well, I think the Ratil and Chris uh, course in mindfulness for teens and tweens will be a place to begin. <laughs> um, I've written a few books about mindfulness for teens. I've also written books for mindfulness about mindfulness for littler kids. Um, I have to read well. it. As you can tell, I like to read. So I have to read it. I know. You're like, <laughs> look at your bookshelf. And I have more like on top. Oh, nice. I'll have to get your address and send you some more. Those are good places to begin. There's, you know, some social media folks who are probably worth following. There's, uh, you know, different videos you can find on YouTube. There's different apps out there. The Headspace is okay. The Calm app um, has some pretty good things. There's some interesting people guiding the meditations. We need to get some more um, Saudi celebrities and influencers like yourself, but there's like some American, uh, you know, pop stars and athletes and things like that who yeah. guide some meditations online and some of the apps who can be fun to, to hear their voices rather than, you know, just my boring voice or something too so yeah. there's some good stuff out there and people can feel free to reach out to me on my website or my social media for more recommendations too yeah that's great how can we as a, a society make meditation and mindfulness more accessible and appealing to young people you know as we've discussed i think social media has positives and negatives social media what you're doing with your channels on social media your podcast that's a great way to start to spread the word about this um i think we what's really important is that we need to make it fun so i think too many people think this is boring sitting still focusing on my breath that sounds terrible <laughs> so we need to make it like movement and yoga and games and while we're listening to music and you know while we're interacting with other people and practicing mindfulness in groups not just as individuals so i think that when we bring it into things that we love right learning about things like you know leo messi the soccer player like he was so bored in the pandemic i guess he got really interested in mindfulness listening to yeah. more actors and musicians um who can help spread the word about it just like they do to spread the word about you know buying pepsi or whatever too <laughs> but talking about their mental health and wellness i think that's all helping and then i think schools too schools is hard because i know not everyone loves school so it can feel like oh here's one more thing but i also like to say hey you know like who minds doing you know like you're doing nothing in school like you know you're literally doing nothing that's what mindfulness in school can be is yeah. one minute of doing nothing maybe that's better than one minute of doing pre-algebra or algebra so um, I hate algebra so <laughs> you and me both you know, like when are we gonna use it in our daily life like one day I'm bored that's bored let's say what is a plus a minus no I don't, I don't. no <laughs> I feel you on that. I feel you on that. I do yeah. use algebra sometimes more than I ever thought I would, but I was not a fan of algebra when I was in middle school. It's like kind of confusing. Really. Next question. Imagine a world uh, where everyone practiced mindfulness for 10 minutes a day. What would you, what would it look like? What do you think are like 
the good things about it. Yeah, I think we would all. I think people would be happier. I think people would be kinder to each other.、Um, I think parents wouldn't yell at their kids; they would listen first <laughs> before they gave them feedback. I think、um, kids would also make better decisions and feel less stress in school and less pulled into drama with their friends socially. I think there'd be less bullying in schools. I think kids would do better at at everything from sports to school to friendships to. Art and things like that. I think we'd appreciate each other. I think we'd appreciate every moment of our lives in a really different way than we do now, when we're rushing around, stressed out, just thinking about the next thing. We could be really focused on how great we have it in this moment, in this incredible world, because it really is a miracle. To be here, it's a miracle、yeah. for us to be talking, you know, thousands of kilometers apart. For me to be talking to a incredible young Saudi woman while I'm sitting here, you know, an old man in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So we'd be appreciating these moments more too. I agree. What excites you most about the future of mindfulness and its potential impact on individuals and communities? I think a lot of that. I think that people can feel better about themselves. Be you know one thing you know I was saying is I think it would help people be kinder to others, but I think just as importantly, it'd help us all be kinder to ourselves, right? To be you know when we do struggle in algebra that we're not telling ourselves, oh I'm so stupid. We'd say, oh this is a hard problem, but I can do it. I think mindfulness and compassion. Passion help us to all do that. So we'd be kinder to ourselves and kinder to others. I think we'd be caring more about the planet and the impact we're having on the planet. Countries and our leaders would be caring more about creating peace and、um, less conflict. Whether it's in our schools or whether it's you know in our you know different countries who are. Um, and cultures who are struggling in conflicts with each other. So I know that sounds like a really big idea, but I think it would make a big difference、um, in all those different、yeah. ways. Me too. I think it will make a big difference. I'll tell you my new project. It's about screens off, screens on. It encourages、mm-hmm. people to unplug and spend time outdoors. Imagine a world where <laughs> curiosity guides kids away from screens and in, like. Into the embrace of nature, my dream is to build a mobile a science lab, traveling the globe and inspiring the public with our discoveries through hands-on experiments and breathtaking landscapes. We'll explore how outdoors adventures and creative hobbies can reconnect children with themselves and unplug from technology in an obviously healthy way. Um, this journey isn't just about science; it's about finding inner peace in our in our plugged-in world. Yeah, I just feel like it would be so nice instead of everyone just spending time on like their iPads, like like they see the world. Cause I feel like kids nowadays they're just playing Roblox or on their phone, like my brothers. They just play on on the iPad and Fortnite and things. So yeah, I have fun questions now. It's、mm-hmm. it's gonna be really fun.、Okay. I love that vision, by the way. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful vision. Thank you. I'm actually really excited to see what you're gonna say about this first one. What's the most ridiculous thing you've heard someone say about meditation? I'm really interested. Oh my gosh!、Um... <laughs> is it that bad? <laughs> This is hard. Oh my gosh! I mean, some people will say, you know, like it can make you fly, it can make you live forever, you know, things like that. And I don't. I, I think that meditation can be amazing, but I don't think it can make you. I don't think it can make you fly. <laughs> I think that's like a kind of a miracle where you come into a bird and fly. But that's like in a、right. fantasy movie, not real life. <laughs> If you could prescribe a movie or a song to cure a specific mental health issue, what would it be and why? 
prescribe a movie or a song? Oh, wow. That is such a cool question. Um, oh my gosh. For me, I feel like song, I don't know, White Ferrari, I don't know if you heard it. It's more of our generation, I don't know, but yeah. And for a movie, honestly, all the movies I watch are, like, I love horror movies, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I like action and drama. Movies. Yeah. I love horror movies because I think actually they can be fun to try to watch mindfully because we can notice like our heartbeat speeding up and slowing down or exactly. music. We can notice like... And I can just imagine myself in their spot. I was like, I'd be dead the first second. I don't know how to be like <laughs> finding right. all these solutions. <laughs> but we can also learn that our emotions really come and go. Like if you like listen to like the Jaws soundtrack or a horror movie soundtrack, you'll feel really scared. And then you're like... Yeah. It's just a song, right? And then it fades away. Or if you ever like watch a watch something on YouTube, like silently, like a horror movie on, on you know on mute, while you play silly music, it totally changes how you feel. And you exactly. notice how like silly emotions exactly. can be sometimes, or that they'll just like fade away. So actually, I wrote a book with a friend a couple of years ago. It's coming out next year. It's called Feelings Are Like Farts, and it's about how our our feelings just drift away, <laughs> right? They can. That's so funny. They're never deadly. And um, if you hold them in too long, they'll end up exploding. So we're super excited for that that book to come On point. The book is on point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're invited into a superhero party, but you have Mm -hmm. to bring a mental health superpower. Which would you bring and how would you use it? I'll tell you how I would use it first. Uh So, um, for example, if I'm in a like murder mystery case, I would use overthinking. So you can overthink, and when you overthink, you could maybe overthink what will happen, so you won't be as surprised. Right, right. I like that. Then you see all the potential outcomes for how it yeah that you overthink in your head. Yeah. What about you? I feel like 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 a mental health superpower. I feel like courage, like being able to just like speak our speak our truth for what's been going on with us, um, I think is one of the most important things we can do is to be able to put things into words or put them into art or poetry or music yes. or a podcast or a dance and be able to express really what's going on and not be afraid to do that or what other people think I think would be an amazing uh, mental health superpower. Exactly. Okay. Oh, this was a really good question. You're trapped on a deserted island with your anxious inner voice. How do you calm it down and survive? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd probably always be trapped on a, if I was trapped on a desert island, I would definitely have my anxious inner voice. Um, you know what's funny about our anxious inner voices is I think that they often are just trying to help. And I think sometimes they're really mean, but sometimes they're just trying to help. And I think I'd be like, thank you for the concern, like that I'm gonna like die alone here on this island. But I think I'm just gonna go look for firewood now and try to catch some fish. (laughs) So So you just gave up hope and you're just gonna trust your faith and live in the desert? I think think trusting my my more kind of like courageous and, and inner inspiring voice rather than like, that rather than just my uh, inner critical voice, it's like, you know what, I can do this. I can survive. Like, I'll figure this out rather than that voice that tells me I can't. Um, so exactly. try to listen to that other voice. For me, if I was trapped on a deserted island, I would just tell myself, you won't live like this your whole life. You'll probably find a way out. Yep. So yeah, that will make me excited. And I'll treat myself when I get out, I'll go to the beach. And... <laughs> right. And, Take advantage yeah. of what's there. Beautiful beach yeah. day. <laughs> exactly. 
Okay, create a social media campaign to spread awareness about mental health in a cheerful way. Yeah, I think what we need to hear more of are stories of people that have had a hard time and gotten better. Because I think too many kids have heard stories of people that have just had a hard time. Um, and I think we need to hear more stories and parents and grownups yeah. need to hear more stories of kids who talked about their mental health issues and that they didn't get any judgment or shame from their parents, exactly. their schools, and their community, that they were, you know, mm -hmm. welcomed for, you know, their courage to speak up and speak out. I think the world still needs a lot more acceptance of mental health. Yeah. But I think you also than the kids. Yeah. You also have to like hear their recovery, you know? Like exactly. Exactly. Okay. Not a life sentence. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice to your younger self about dealing with stress or anxiety, which would it be? I think that it gets better and that, and that I wish, you know, I discovered mindfulness for my, or, and in my time, it was very young when I was 20 or 22, I wish it's something I had learned at an even younger age, just how to calm my breath down or just how to kind of connect with the moment and appreciate the moment and what it brings um, at a younger age rather than when I was at university. I agree. If you weren't a clinical psychologist, what would you do? What would you think you would be doing instead? Well, I feel so lucky, um, Ritil, because I, I always wanted to be a writer when I grew up. And then I thought, I'm never going to be able to be a writer. So I'm going to be a teacher. And then I didn't like being a teacher. So then I became a psychologist. And then after I was a psychologist, I became a writer. So I feel so lucky. I think if I did just one thing, it would probably be just being a writer would be my favorite thing to do um, and help other people to be creative as well. Because I love writing. I love writing books for grownups. I love writing books for kids. I've written 20 books at this point, And I just love the creative process of writing. So I that's what I all my time doing. I agree. And for me, as like a reader, like I love to read, um, like I feel like, writers like some like there's really good writers like they write the stories and like I feel like I'm in this I'm in the character I'm mm -hmm. in this book because it's like so well written and even if it's not about like some story or novel I feel like like um if you just read like a book that helps you like self-improve yourself it's also really nice like there's a book called Atomic Habits I didn't read it yet but it's oh, like yeah. a really good book um book. it's like helping yourself like <sighs> how to do something like for example I watched like this a person and she read this book and she said that this book like teaches you for example instead of just saying oh I want to go to the gym tomorrow and like sleeping the whole day set <laughs> a time like for example I will go to the gym at 5 p.m tomorrow in mm -hmm. my home gym and it makes you more likely to do that so yeah. that's what I also like about writing and you could also help other people so that's what I also like absolutely Atomic Habits is a great book it's long if you want a good short book like that there's one called Zen Habits Again, named Leo. I know Bunch. that one. Yeah. That's so good. Oh, I got so many good tips from that book. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, if you could leave everyone with one simple tip for a better relationship with themselves, what would it be? I'd say be kind to everyone, but be kind to yourself. It's really hard to be kind. I'm actually working on a book about this, that it's hard to be kind to anybody else until you learn how to be kind to yourself. Exactly. So no grownups are always telling kids to be kind, but they need to learn first how to be kind to themselves. And if you're kind to yourself and also still holding yourself accountable, I think kindness is holding yourself accountable too. I think that you'll be happy, you'll be successful. Um, and um, yeah, just, learn how to be truly kind to yourself you said what you said i agree <laughs> okay my last question is for all my guests 
They said, live today the way you want to be remembered tomorrow. So what do you want to be remembered for? I just hope my the the books that I write kind of uh, can outlive me and outlast me and that people will, you know, maybe, you know, if I teach some young kids or, or medium age kids or teenagers a little bit of mindfulness, um, maybe they'll use it that day or maybe it'll be a seed that's planted and 30 years later, 40 years later, when they're having a hard day, they'll remember, oh, you know, that guy came to my school and taught me some mindfulness or, you know, I went and saw Dr. Willard for therapy and he taught me some mindfulness and I never used it. But now 30 years later, that was a really positive memory. And I'm going to use that now. So that's my my hope is that I've planted some seeds of mindfulness for for the future. Like that's a good way to be remembered. Lots of people remember if you that's the way. Anyways, let's end with a gratitude meditation to appreciate the good things in our life. In Islam, we say Alhamdulillah. I don't know how you say it, but in Islam, we say Alhamdulillah. It means like we thank God for everything, you know? Mm, nice. So, can, yeah. you, can you say that again more slowly so I can try to say it? Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it good. <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful, yeah. though. So we thank god um about all the good things that we have in our life and that's basically what it means so thank god basically yeah and thank you for being here and do you have any questions to ask me or anything you want to say well thank you for being here ratil thank you for the work that you're doing kind of bringing so much more positivity and light and mindfulness and awareness and inspiration into this world um in saudi in the gulf in the middle east and around the world to young people everywhere. I feel honored to be your guest. And I, I hope at some point we get to meet in person at some point, either you yes. you're in America or I'll be I'll be in your area at some point it would be a lot of fun. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I learned lots of things and I'll definitely use your tips you said in my <laughs> life. So thank you so much. And thank you. really had fun today. Thank you. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> Bye.